of our churches we've been doing for a long time is called The Days of Elijah. Will you stand with us and let's sing together? Here we go. Drop it, call it your voice. It's the year of 
Be seated. Uh, I've had a, an interesting upbringing. In my journey, I experienced God's love in the form of people reaching out when they don't have to to tangibly demonstrate God's love. That love along the way has been unconditional, never ending, generous. Always giving powerful love that has changed hearts and most personally my very own. My family is originally from Rwanda in July 1994. A lot of the you know, chaos started and Hutus were kind of Tutsis, Tutsis, and Hutus.
I love you anyway, man. And here's proof of my love for you in the form of the first warning gift you ever received. That shook my world to the core. We're in a season of giving for Operation Christmas Child, and you can see uh, the impact that it has on the lives of, of people. And so we've got three different ways that you can contribute, that you can be a part of that. Um, we've got some free shoe boxes outside uh, the library, those cardboard boxes. You can pick one of those up. You can uh, get the items yourself, fill it out, return it over to the Mission Center there on the, the track. Um, that's the first way. You can also buy plastic containers there in the bookstore if you'd like to like to do that as well. The second way, you can go on our website. You can contribute uh, uh, $25. You can do that in the offering boxes as well. And by contributing the $25, you're essentially purchasing a box and the items in that box. Or secondly, you can, or third, excuse me, you can go on our website. We've got a link to the Operation Christmas Child website, and that link uh, will take you where you can build your box through uh, their website. And so those are the three different avenues that you can give to participate and be a part of giving a boxes that, that go around the world. Uh, my family, we always select to be able to, to know where our box went. We love finding out the country, um, where they go. And so it's a great ministry, great outreach tool, and you can see it changes the lives of the individuals that get it. And so it's a great thing to be a part of this Christmas. Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church. We're glad to have you here to worship with us this morning. Um, man, what a great morning to be here. Todd, great, great way to start us off. We're excited about that. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to continue to worship. God, we thank you for today and just for uh, your love and that you break down walls and break barriers to speak uh, your kindness and truth to us. Uh, Lord, be with us today as we worship you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and let's sing together. Sing it with me. In this time of desperation, when all we know is doubt and fear, there is only one foundation we believe. Agree together. We believe. This broken generation, when all is dark, you help us see. 
There is only one salvation. We believe, said, we believe. We believe. Sing it with me. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again. We believe. So let our faith be more than anthem. Greater than the songs we sing. That's right. And in our weakness and temptation. We believe, we believe, we believe in God the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion, we believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back again. All is found in the dead we written, in the here and now. The love and faith, let the church live loud. For God will say, we believe, we believe. And the gates of hell will not prevail for the power of God has torn the veil and we know your love will never fail we believe we believe we believe in god the father we believe in jesus christ we believe in the holy spirit and he's given us new life we believe in the crucifixion we believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back. He's coming back again. He's coming back again. We believe. We Sometimes belief is not just a thing in your head. In fact, I guess the true belief is not just knowing something, but it's stepping out in faith, uh, stepping out on the ocean. Like this song reminds us. upon the waters the great unknown where feet may fade 
stand And I will call upon your name And keep my eyes above the waves When oceans rise my soul will rest in your embrace abounds in deepest waters, your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail when fear surrounds me, you've never failed, and you won't start now. in your embrace for I am yours and you are my spirit lead me where my trust is without borders let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me take me deeper than my feet could ever wander stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made strong. come before you this morning we want to we want to have faith in you Lord I like the the man in the Bible who said I believe help now my unbelief I feel like that sometimes I believe Lord but I just need help to believe that extra amount and Lord so sometimes when you call us out on the water you call us to step out on the ocean and uh, our faith will just declare which one we're going to do, whether we're going to step out in faith on you or hide. And so, Lord, now we ask you to just uh, to speak to us 
clearly this morning. Show us what you want us to do. Give us your clear guide in our life. I pray for Dr. Cox as he brings your message. May you, your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you today. Glad you're here to worship with us. I want to take a moment to share with you about tonight. We don't have worship every Sunday night, but we do tonight. At 6 o'clock, we're hosting a revival service sponsored by Duck River Baptist Association. It'll be at three different churches. They've asked us to host this Sunday night service. Michael Catt will be preaching. He's retired pastor from Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. Uh, they're the church that did the movies that you've seen, Fireproof, War Room, Courageous, Facing the Giants. And he's a great preacher. I want to encourage you to come. It's an emphasis on reviving our churches. So we're the host church. It's going to look bad if we don't have anybody here. I want you to come, okay? Would you come tonight at 6 o'clock? Titans don't kick off till 7.30. You've got plenty of time. Come tonight at 6 o'clock. May God do a work of revival in us, in our lives. So would you be here? Would you support us tonight, 6 o'clock, for that revival service? I want to thank Tim uh, Hensick, who preached uh, last three weeks, did a great job sharing with us on forgiveness I want to say a word of congratulations to Jake Dorak, who this week uh, completed his doctor of ministry degree, successfully defended his project on Friday. Congratulations to you. And we're proud of you for that. God bless you. Let's pray together. Would you join me, please? Father in heaven, we want to thank you today for all of your goodness to us. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you that we got up today. Thank you that we ate food. We have clothes to wear. We slept in a bed last night. You are good to us on this week leading up to Veterans Day. We especially want to pause and thank you, Lord, for those who have served our country, even those among our own congregation who have given their lives and have defended our freedoms. And we thank you for our nation. We thank you for our freedom. And we thank you for these veterans. We pray for those who are in service of our country now. But we thank you for these people. We pray you bless them today. Father, on this, which is the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians, we want to just also pause and pray for people where it's tough to be a Christian. They tell us North Korea is the toughest place on the face of the earth to be a Christian. Oh God, we pray for those believers who live in secret, and we pray for them, for people in Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, and Pakistan, which are the other four countries, the toughest places on the earth to try to be a Christian. We pray for those who are in prison. We pray for those who suffer physically, economically for their faith. May their light burn. May they be faithful. May you give them grace. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Today I want to begin a seven-week series of sermons on prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament. We're going to look, Lord willing, over the next seven weeks during October, uh, during November and December at about 40 prophecies or predictions in the Old Testament of a king, a Messiah who would come, and I want you to see how they're fulfilled by Jesus. We ha I have on the Welcome Center and at the Resource Center a little card that has these 40 predictions that maybe you want to pick one up and put it in your Bible and you'll have them all together there. You're welcome to do that. Uh, these 
prophecies are sort of like clues to a mystery. You ever tried to solve a mystery? You ever played the game of, of clue? And you figure a little bit of it out, and then a little bit more. It was Colonel Mustard with the lead pipe in the study. You know what I'm talking about? You know clue? Well, that's sort of what this is. We put these clues together a little bit at a time, and we learn the identity of the one they're pointing to. Or it's like a mosaic on the screen you see, and on the front of your bulletin you see a portion of the mosaic from St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. And it's made up of little stones. And if you look at just one of these stones, you don't see much. But when you begin to put them together, it creates an image. Do you see it there? Do you see part of that face there of Jesus? That's what we're going to see in these predictions leading up to Christmas. Now you may say, why would we spend seven weeks on these Old Testament prophecies? Let me answer that question by asking another question. What was the first thing that Jesus talked about to his disciples after he rose from the dead? The first extended conversation that Jesus had with any of his disciples after he rose from the dead was on Easter Sunday afternoon. Two of them were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and Jesus came up and walked beside them. And, but he kept them from recognizing him so he could talk to them. He said, what's going on? Oh, our master, we thought he was the Messiah, but he's died, and, and we don't know what to do. And Jesus, it says, let me read to you in, in Luke chapter 24, verse um, 27, uh, 26 and 27. He said, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So the first thing Jesus talked about to his disciples after he rose from the dead is the thing we're going to look at in the next few weeks. It's important enough that he wanted them to know this was part of God's plan and he could see the certainty that God was in control. So he went back to the Old Testament as they walked along that road. Then later that evening, he appeared to ten of the disciples. And what did he talk to them about? In the same chapter, Luke 24, 44, and he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Those are the three divisions of the Hebrew Old Testament. Now, in your Bible, those 39 books of the Old Testament are in five groups in a different order. Uh, they've been since sort of try to put in chronological order. But in the Hebrew Bible, the Bible of Jesus' day, same 39 books, but in three divisions according to when they became recognized as Scripture. The law, the prophets, and the third was all the writings, but Psalms was the first of them, so sometimes that third division was called by Psalms. What Jesus is saying is, all of the Old Testament talks about me. The law talks about me. The prophets talk about me. And the writings or the Psalms talk about me. So he went through the whole Old Testament that Sunday evening and showed them. In the next verse it says, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. That's what we want to try to do in these weeks. What Jesus did, what would be the ones that Jesus talked about? We're going to try to look at those. Now, I have three purposes for this sermon series. I think they match up with Jesus' purposes when he's talking to the disciples. Number one, the first purpose is that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You, maybe you're not a Christian. You're coming to our church. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad you've come. 
we want to help you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. To show there's good evidence that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Maybe you're a doubter and you, you're just sort of doubting your faith. You're raised as a Christian, but you're just not sure. I hope this will convince you, help you to believe Jesus Messiah. So there's an evangelistic purpose to this. I hope you'll invite people these next few weeks. Christmas is a great time. People are more receptive to come to a worship service, no matter what they believe. It's just sort of tradition. Why don't you invite friends to come one of these next few weeks? Sometimes you don't know whether it's a good time to invite people or not. He might be talking about tithing. I don't want to invite anybody on that. Well, this is going to be a good time to invite people, okay? These next few weeks. The second purpose. First purpose is evangelistic, that you could believe. Second is apologetic, that you know how to defend the faith. What if somebody asks you, why do you believe the Bible is true? What would you say to them? Are you prepared to answer that question? What if somebody says, you go to church? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, don't, I don't think the Bible's any different from any other religious book. Why do you believe the Bible is true? What would you say to them? Well, one thing that you could say to them is, the fulfillment of prophecy attests to the truth of the Bible. You could, I got a little card right here. Let me show you 40 prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled by Jesus. So I hope that this will help equip you. And the third purpose is that we might marvel at the plan of God. It's a worship purpose. That we just might say, wow, God has been in control all along. And when my world seems uncertain and I don't know where the future is going, I'm going to trust God because he's had a plan all the way. We just want to focus on Jesus this holiday season. And lift him up and worship him. So that's our purpose. So today, we want to start with that first division of the Old Testament. Jesus said he talked about himself in the law, the prophets, and the writings. So we're going to look at the law. The law is the first five books of the Old Testament. And I want to share with you four prophecies of Jesus. I think these are four. I don't know, but I think these are four places Jesus took them on that Easter Sunday to look at these four passages, probably among others. There are many more than 40. I just, I got to narrow it down. All right, 40 of the main ones. So we're going to look at four today. Now the word Messiah is not in the law. That's sort of the key word we're going to look at through the rest of the Bible. But it's early. You're getting the first clues, right, to the mystery. We don't get the word Messiah here, but we begin to get just some hints. So let's look at them together. Where is the first prediction of Jesus in the Old Testament? Where's the first prediction of Jesus in the Bible? You don't have to go very far. Just the first few pages in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In Genesis 1 and 2, God made everything. In Genesis 3, we messed up. We sinned. We rebelled. We turned against God. And God, it, sin brought a curse upon us, upon the land, and upon the tempter, the serpent, the one who had tempted. And we're going to read a verse from God's curse on the serpent in Genesis 3, 15. And there's a hint of a promise there. Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel, talking to the, to the serpent. Now, on the surface, this just might to seem to be to explain why people don't like snakes. How many of you don't like snakes? Okay, well, you can identify with this verse, don't you? There is enmity between you and the serpent, right? And you would like to crush his head, right? That, well, that explains it. But there's more to it than that. Because the Bible tells us that that serpent wasn't just a snake. Working through that snake, 
Revelation says the ancient serpent is the devil. And so this is just a little ray of hope, first of the Bible, that there's going to be in between, between you, that serpent, the devil, and the woman, and between your offspring, key word, note this word offspring, descendant, or seed, or offspring, and hers, and he, so we're talking about a male figure here, he will crush your head and uh, you will strike his heel. So let's put it together. Here's what we got for the first prediction. The Messiah will be a human, right? Because he's going to be born of woman. This one, this hope that's coming is going to be a descendant or an offspring of woman. So he's going to be human. Messiah will be a human. He'll be a male because it says he will crush your head and who will be wounded by the by Satan, the devil, but will crush the devil's head. Do you get that hint there? It'll be human, he, offspring of woman, a male, he, and who will be wounded by the devil, but will crush the devil's head. What's the fulfillment of that? Well, Jesus fulfilled that because in Galatians 4, 4, it says, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. The first hint of this deliverer is he's not coming from Asgard, not coming from Krypton. He'll be from this planet. He will be born of woman. Why? Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Here's why he needed to be born of woman shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. There's where he's going to stomp his head. Why? Because he had to die for us. The only way to break this curse was to die for us. The only way to die for us was to be human. He had to be born of woman. And so he took on flesh so that by his death, that's the striking, there the serpent strikes his heel, right? Jesus was struck by the serpent. He died on the cross. But in the process... God flipped it, and he crushed the devil's head. He might break the power of him who holds the death that is the devil. You see it there? There's one more verse I'd share with you in the New Testament that relates to Genesis 3.15. Paul picks up on it in Romans 16.20. In Romans 16.20, he says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So when you are related to Jesus by faith in him, you share in that victory where he has crushed the the devil's head, And if you know Jesus, you hang on if you're fighting cancer, if you're going through some financial or relational difficulty. It's a fallen world. It's a messed up world. Things are not like they're supposed to be. But the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And that's the hope that we cling to. All right, let's go to the second one. What's the second prophecy of Jesus in the Old Testament? Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. It's the story of Abraham. And you probably know some about the story of Abraham. We looked at it not long ago. And here in Genesis 22, verse 18, God said to Abraham, and through your offspring. Do you see that word? Same word as, he, as Genesis 3, 15. It would be through the offspring of woman. Now the offspring has been narrowed. It's going to be not just a human, but a descendant of Abraham. Through your offspring, it says... All nations on earth will be blessed. And so God promised Abraham it would be one of your 
offspring or descendants who would bless the world. And so we learn that the Messiah will be a Jew, a descendant of Abraham. And so it's narrated. First we learn it's going to be a human deliverer. Now that it's been narrated a little more, it's going to be a Jew. And people are looking for God in all other different kind of traditions and cultures. I just read where Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of Twitter, and he has bought into a Buddhist kind of meditation. He meditates two times a day. He went to Myanmar a couple of years ago on a 10-day silent retreat because he has found that in, through Buddhism that there might be a path to God or enlightenment or meaning you're not going to find hope through a Buddhist culture. You're not going to find hope through an English culture or a French or an Italian or a Choctaw or a Cherokee or an Aztec or a Mayan or an Arab or an Egyptian. You'll find hope through a Jewish deliverer because God said, I'll bless the world through a descendant of Abraham. So don't look in these other cultures it is through a Jew. God chose this people to bless the world, and so he's narrowed it down now that our hope comes there. What's the very first thing? What's the first verse of the New Testament? What's the first thing the Bible says in the New Testament? Let me read it to you, Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's why it starts with a genealogy. You think, why is it in the world does it start this way? That's no way to start a book. You've got to grab them in at the very first. Why do you start a book with a genealogy? Because he wants you to see that continuity that God has been planning this all along. And he is the son of Abraham. In John 8, 56, Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And God gave Abraham just a clue of the day of Jesus. And Jesus said, Abraham saw my day. I'm the fulfillment of what he had hoped for. Well, the third prediction of the Messiah in the law is in Genesis chapter 49. And Jacob, who's the grandson of Abraham, is blessing his sons. He's coming near the end of his life, and he says a word of prophecy or prediction or just a word of blessing over each of his 12 sons who will become the 12 tribes of Israel. He spends the most time on his fourth son, Judah. And I want to read to you in Genesis 49, verse, uh, being in verse 8, what he says, Jacob says about Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. So he's saying Judah's going to be the greatest tribe. And sure enough, you follow the history of Israel. Ten northern tribes get carried away into Assyria and are lost. Benjamin is absorbed into Judah. Judah becomes the lone remaining tribe. And, he, and, and Jacob, as he's blessing them, he compares each son and their future to an object or an animal, one a donkey, one a wolf, one a vine, and he compares Judah to a lion. Verse 9, you are a lion's cub, Judah. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? And then here's the key part, verse 10. Here's the prophecy. The scepter, and that's the thing you hold if you're a ruler, will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So, through the Holy Spirit, Jacob is saying, a ruler's going to come from Judah. And when he comes, 
all the nations will obey him. So here's the third thing that we learn. The Messiah will be a ruler from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. So now it's narrowed down even further. He's a human. He's a Jew. He's from the tribe of Judah. You're looking for help? You want to know who God has put the clues in to point you to? He's pointing you to a human who is a Jew from the tribe of Judah. What does Matthew chapter 1 verse 2 say? What does the second verse in the New Testament say? Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah. And it goes on down through those verses to come to Jesus Christ. He was of the tribe of Judah. And so when we come to the last book in the Bible, Revelation, there's a scene of heaven. And in that scene before the throne of God, there's a scroll in his right hand that depicts the future. And John weeps in this vision that he sees because there's no one in heaven who can take the scroll and open it. That is, there's no one in control of the future. There's no one who knows the future. And John weeps and weeps. And then one of the heavenly beings, one of the angels says to him, Don't weep, John. Let's read it in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll. Jesus is this lion from the tribe of Judah who was prophesied and he is the Messiah and he's in control and you don't have to worry about politics and you don't have to worry about economies because God's got this he's in control the lion of the tribe of Judah has the scroll in his hand and he'll bring it to his conclusion there's a fourth one we want to look at one more prophecy Deuteronomy chapter 18 beginning in verse 14 this is Moses' farewell sermon. Moses wrote the first five books of these Old Testament, wrote the law probably about 1400 B.C. So all of these that I'm sharing are about 1400 years before Jesus. And this is his final, he's about to die, and the book of Deuteronomy sums up the first four books, and it's his farewell sermon. So these are Moses' last words. And he says in Deuteronomy 18, 14, the nations you will dispossess Listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. So other cultures are going to get into the occult and all this stuff, and you don't ever do that because you got the real deal, he's about to tell them. But as for you, it says in verse, the next verse, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. A prophet like Moses, from among you, a Jew, from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him, for this is what, uh, and then let me read in verse 18. This is God speaking now. That was Moses. Now he's quoting God. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So the last thing that we learn in this law is the Messiah will be a prophet like Moses. And the Jews began to look for this spokesperson from God, this one who would speak from God as Moses had, this prophet like Moses. And so when Jesus fed the 5,000, you know what they said in John 6 verse 14? After the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, surely 
this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And they were wrong about a lot of things, but they were right about that. And so when we come to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John go into the temple and there's a crippled man there and they heal him in the name of Jesus. And he starts jumping around the temple and it attracts a big crowd and the crowd comes and Peter stands up and preaches. You know what Peter says? Peter says, it's in the name of Jesus this man was healed. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. He's the Messiah. And then he quotes this from Deuteronomy. Let me read it to you in Acts chapter 3, verse 22. Acts 3, 22. He says, for Moses said, he quotes this, the Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Where did Peter get the idea to quote that? And he quotes the next verses. He quotes the one about descent offspring of Abraham too. Where did Peter get the idea to quote this stuff? I think about two months earlier on Easter Sunday night. When Jesus began to show them, I've been predicted all through the Old Testament. First things we've learned about the Messiah. God says your hope will come from one born of woman, a human, a male, a Jew, from the tribe of Judah, and he will be a prophet like Moses. And he will be struck by the evil one, but he will crush the evil one's head. Are you beginning to see the picture? Maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're a doubter. I want you to see that God loves you enough he has put signs, clues to help you believe. Let me share this with you. Give you a comparison. In uh, 1869, a Swiss scientist uh, named Meischer studying blood he got from hospitals used bandages sounds sort of gross doesn't it and got the blood out of them he wanted to isolate proteins but as he was trying to find the proteins he found something that wasn't a protein he didn't know what it was it was some kind of acid nucleic acid later we put a D in front of it and it was DNA and he discovered DNA it was almost 100 years later when Watson and Crick began to try to figure out what DNA looked like. And they made cardboard cutouts on their desk, trying to piece it together. And they finally figured out what worked. It was a double helix spiral. Think of a ladder and twist the ladder, okay? Two twisted strands with rungs in between. And they found out that this is what is in every cell of your body. It is the building block of life. There was a pattern there all along that we had not seen before, that we didn't know, but now we could see. And it's getting harder and harder to be an atheist. Really is, because there is such complexity and intricacy and design in every human cell. You scratch your head, and if you've got dandruff, you can come up with a little flake and in that little flake are tiny cells, and in every one of those cells is six feet of this. Six feet of this in every, the nucleus of every cell. And the DNA in your body, if pulled out, 
would circle the solar system twice. The DNA in your trillions of cells laid to end to end would circle the solar system. There's a, there's a pattern there that if you would see it, God it could help you believe. Well, who is this God who did that? There is also a pattern in the Old Testament to show you that his son is Jesus. Let me show you one more image. This is one of our stained glass windows. And in the same way, it's the one over here, and in the same way, it's just little pieces of glass. And you look at one of them, you can't see much, but you put them together. What do you see? Do you see it there? Do you, do you see a, a head? Do you see arms stretched up? Do you see that picture of Jesus ascending? That's what we're looking at in the Old Testament. Clues that God has put you to help you believe and help you defend the faith. Would you today put your faith in Jesus Christ? Today you could come by the Welcome Center and talk to me. You could make an appointment on a guest card to talk to a pastor. Or right now, you could walk forward as we sing this song to close. To say, I want to put my faith in Jesus and be baptized. I want to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. You could join our church. If God speaks to you, would you come? Let's stand together and sing. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any other man. You are God alone from before time began. Can we try this again? I have just totally messed up this whole song. <laughs> Sorry about that. One more time for me. not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are God alone. From before time began, you were on your throne, you were God alone, and right now, in the good times and bad, you 
God alone You're the only God whose power None can contend You're the only God whose name and praise will never end You're the only God who's worthy of everything we can give You are God and that's just the way it is God alone from before time began You are on your throne You are God alone And right now in the good times and That's what you are Unchangeable Unshakable Unstoppable That's what you are You are God alone From before time began You were on your times and bad you are on your throne you are God alone unchangeable unstoppable unstoppable that's what you are unchangeable unshakable Unstoppable, unstoppable, that's what you are. You are God alone from before time began. And you were on your throne, you were God alone. And right now, the good times and That's what you are. Yes. Amen. You could be seated. Oh, you're a lot prettier than your husband. <laughs> oh, I'm always nervous what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was, that was nice. That, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was good. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. I appreciate yeah. you, Todd. Okay. okay, appreciate you too. <laughs> All right, I just wanted to come up. Good morning. I just wanted to tell you, um, just update you a little bit on Upward. Um, we currently, we're up, the evaluations are done. Our first practice is December 6th, so it's really soon. Um, currently, we have, this one's really loud. Is it loud? Uh, currently, it, we have, hello. Currently, we have 121 basketball players and 41 cheerleaders. That's a lot of kids. <laughs> It is. It's a good thing. 
It's exciting, but that takes a lot of volunteers. Um, and right now, we currently still need two first and second grade coaches and assistant coaches. And that really is just a fun age group to coach. A little bit like herding cats, but really fun at the same time. Um, we always need referees, so if you're interested or if you have questions about volunteering, you can see me. You can sign up at the welcome desk. Um, but it's really a fun a fun time. We really do um, have a, a good time. But just to remember to pray for our season, more than just having fun and learning basketball skills, this is a really big um, opportunity for us to Lots of kids, lots of parents, grandparents, all the family come. And it's just a time for us to really get to share the gospel and share God's love with them. So if you just remember us during this season, we play January and February on Saturdays. In case y'all don't know, this is Shonda Hensick. She belongs to Tim. Okay, so some of you are like, like who, you know, what, what? anyway, so good job, Shonda. I was nice, wasn't I? I didn't like ask you to, no. you know, just... Explain the theory of relativity. If I have to think too much beyond this card, I don't know what I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) So good job. Are you going to pray for us? I'm going to pray. All right, yes, let's pray. I can do that. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. God, thank you for being so good. And Lord, just allow everything that we've heard and learned today um, to not fall on deaf ears. Um, But Lord, allow us to go out and to apply it to our lives. Just be with us throughout our week. Um, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. That wasn't too painful, was it? <laughs> unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable, that's what you are. Unchangeable, unshakable. That's what you are. You are God alone from before time began. And you are on your throne. You are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, you are on your throne. You are God. Unshakable, unstoppable, that's what you are.